so rewarding to start with if you're renovating or remodeling and start with this this old home that needs a lot of work and needs life brought back into it and when you're done you can stand back and say us and our team did that and the same thing with the new builds you start with a piece of dirt and when you're done you've built this beautiful huge building that hopefully is going to be there for hundreds of years probably get renovated a few times along the way and that's rewarding to know that you had a hand in that Welcome to episode 153 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And today we have Toby Cornell with Cornell Custom Construction in Southern California. Toby and I have been connected for quite some time through social media. I've been to his operation in California. I've toured his projects. He has some amazing projects out there, uh, some amazing clients he's working for. And really, Toby is a third generation builder, right? And he talks about the complexity of his business and taking that over and what he's done with it. What I really enjoyed about the episode as well is he talks about some inspiring things that has driven him as a business owner, the charity arm that he's involved with, being active in the community, right? His weight loss journey. And really, he shared some really personal things at the end of the episode that really show the character of Toby and who he is. And I can tell you from knowing him that he's that person and the benefit he's doing in the, in the community. So without further ado, let's get started. This past May, we had an amazing Contractor Coalition Summit. This was in Nashville with Nick Schiffer from Menace Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction to Style out of Minnesota. And we are now up for our second round of the Contractor Coalition Summit that'll be in Huntington Beach from Sunday, November 6th through Wednesday, November 9th. Go to ContractorCoalitionSummit.com, sign up, register. We have some amazing partners that'll be there sponsoring the event, amazing attendees that have already signed up. It's limited seating. We're only allowing 30 to attend. And again, this will be all things pricing, profitability, contracting, client expectations, scheduling, and of course, marketing and social media. Everything that we wish we knew in our business from the very beginning is all going to be wrapped up into just a couple of days. So we'll see you there in Huntington Beach in November. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt. And today we have a good friend of mine, Toby Cornell. Welcome, Toby. Hey, it's awesome to be on the show, Brad. So um, so I did see that uh, Nick, your buddy Nick from NS Builders had Mike Rowe on his live today. And so I know he you're did. trying to one up him and you called me real quick and you're like, Hey Toby, let's, let's do a podcast real quick. So uh, no, that was awesome. Mike Rowe is one of my favorite guys. So good for him. It's funny because Nick's been trying to do something with him forever. I know he's been trying to get him on his modern craftsman podcast. And like you said, do we just have to one up and bring Toby on? That's right. It's been yeah. Mike Rowe. Yeah, we're we're going to get the ratings right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it here on the AFT Construction Podcast. So anyways, Toby is owner of Cornell Custom Construction. I know that you're pretty versatile doing commercial residential. Uh, just a quick background. Toby and I have known each other um, through social media, through Instagram. I think we may have even connected through Martin a little bit too because you were on his podcast. and we connected Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we first connected was through Martin. I think Martin was kind of the first guy to, to be doing all of these things. And then mm-hmm. I, I think you did a podcast on Martin's show at the Vegas um, Builder yeah. show. And so yep. then my wife and I were there and then I was like, hey, I want to meet Brad because we've only met, you know, through Instagram. So yeah, that was great. Kind of a small world how we're all connected. And then since then, I've, you know, been in Newport with my family a few times. You work nearby and we've toured some of your projects and some amazing homes you do. And yeah, I think what's interesting, you and I a little bit, you know, kind of have a same mentality, a little bit commercial residential. We do a little bit of both. Uh, right now I found it's a little bit harder for me to do commercial just with supply chain. So how are you bridging that? You know, why both commercial and residential from your side? <clears throat> well, so for 22 years, 21 years, we never did commercial, nor did we really have intentions to do commercial. Um, our original name was Cornell Custom Homes. And um, so I had a friend who was building um, a pretty high-end, you know, express wash, one of those real nice ones. And so, you know, he hit me up and he's like, hey, you can do this. And I said, I don't do a lot of commercial. And he goes, no, but I know you can do it. He goes, let's go look at one. I'll give you the plans. And after, you know, I looked at them and then I I also, you know, had to contemplate, hey, this is a friend of mine. Do I want to do work for friends? And And, uh, that relationship. uh, Right. (laughs) right. But man, it worked out awesome. He's happier than can be. and so that kind of was the start of our uh, commercial side of things. And so then I was bidding a few other commercial jobs and the name homes in our in our title, Cornell Custom Homes, um, wasn't resonating good with some of the people that we were trying to get bids uh, to because they're like, well, it says homes in your name. Do you even do commercial work? And so then I just wanted to get rid of that stigma and I 
changed the name to Cornell Custom Construction, which, you know, encompasses everything. Um, it's amazing. So, so how was that? I mean, when you think about making that change, that's a big change going residential to now doing both. Was and, and, and understand the methodology and thought process there, you know, Cornell Custom Homes is going to maybe take away a little bit of the business development and referral side from the commercial side. So I would imagine that was a strategy to say, let's look at more of a contractor title as opposed to just custom homes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to diversify a little bit. Um, you know, we've, we've done homes for so long and we've done some really awesome projects and I was actually just kind of looking for another challenge. So, um, when, when we did this, everything went about as perfect as it could go. Scheduling went perfect. Um, we had even some rain delays because we had a lot of rain that year. I think that was the last time we've had a lot of rain. That's probably when do we get rain in California? Uh, and Arizona, I know right? the last couple of years it's been terrible. We haven't gotten any. So, um, so yeah, but he was ecstatic. In fact, um, his plans are going through right now for another car wash. And so we're hoping to start it by the end of the year. And then, um, also in the same area where we're working on that car wash, uh, or where hopefully we'll be working on that car wash, is uh, a restaurant, and we're ready to start that as soon as permits pull, and that should be hopefully at the end of the month. So, so are, are you nervous at all doing commercial, especially with like timeline, supply chain, manpower? No. So this um, this job is also for a guy that I know who owns a few other restaurants in town. Super nice guy. And so um, he's got some subs already to do some of the other things because he has uh, restaurants already open, um, but he just wants help with everything else. And so I told him, hey, this will be a great learning experience for me because I've actually never worked on a restaurant. So I like that, uh, that chance. So um, he's giving us that chance and, um, you know, we're going to give him our expertise and, you know, making it really nice. And uh, but yeah. No, I'm just, it's kind of nice, like you said, to diversify. I know you've done a few nice restaurants and, you know, brew houses. And this one's kind of similar, I think, to that one that you did um, some years back, where it's just a really cool place to hang out. They got great food and and they make their own, you know, beer. And so, so yeah. So very similar to what we've done. What I can say is make sure you're good friends with the health inspector and fire marshal. Like, yeah, not not in like a bad way. I just mean, it's like, you know, make sure you understand exactly what they're looking for, you know, code and it, it's a lot different than, you know, going through a normal C of O process. Oh, absolutely. Done. And the, the owner's already told me about that. And, and he actually told me, you probably don't need to worry about that so much because I'm, I've already dealt with them and I know them. So I'll probably, probably just handle that portion of it. And you can just, just make sure you're on the watch. side though. So you can learn and watch. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, That's why I told him. Educational I want to learn all of this for sure. Yeah, that's so. a big part. And it's different because, I mean, so think about it without saying how you're doing your contract or maybe your management, and we don't need to get into the weeds here. But whenever you're doing this, I mean, do you ever have any opposition when a client says, hey, I may have my own subs? I know in this case there's a JV, right, joint venture. There's going to be some mm-hmm. educational purposes behind it for you. Um, how, how does that change your mentality when you have a standard contract? You know, are you negotiating that, like thinking about so. it as a CM at risk or like a, a you know, construction manager for the restaurant. It's a uh, a project management contract um, because he's got, you know, probably half the vendors uh, that are going to be working on the site are from the owner. And then the other half will be from, from myself. And so that, that contract, you know, allows that, but for my fixed contracts for, you know, my homes and for the other commercial work we do, if they're fixed price contracts, then the owners don't have any say in, in who, um, you know, does the work except for like the car wash there's a ton of other you know vendors you know for the equipment and installing that equipment and um you know the the pay um lanes and all that stuff so so those things obviously are out of my scope of work so he can hire whoever he wants you know for that stuff which usually it's obviously the company that he's buying it from so it's interesting you bring that up, Toby, because I think what most people that haven't worked commercial and residential and in commercial, you have what's called FF&E, right? Furniture, fixtures, and equipment. And so if you're doing a restaurant, a brewery, um, you know, hotel, right, coming in and, you know, there's a lot of furnishings and things provided by either, like, for example, Marriott, you know, working at Marriott, they're going to have a certain vendors that have to be. So the franchisee is buying through the, you know, these specialty fixtures and you're coordinating install. So it's pretty common, especially in the commercial world, that you're working with multiple entities, that aren't necessarily under the contract of Cornell Custom Construction, but you're managing, and so it's a little bit easier to be versatile and operate as a project manager as opposed to maybe a custom home where your client says, hey, Toby, I want to come in and paint my house and do my landscape. Right, right. So, yeah, definitely. Um, and 
you know, um, I think also, Brad, and maybe you can uh, attest to this too, I think it's easier to go from building luxury homes or custom homes to doing commercial work um, versus if I was a commercial guy wanting to switch up to do custom homes, which why would you want to do that? You'd be crazy to do that, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I found um, one of the turnoffs for commercial work for me is the bidding process. Um, you know, you're bidding, you know, usually uh, against three or four other guys. And I mean, in my experience, just the people I've bid against on, you know, the handful of jobs that we've bid for commercial, um, man, they just, they bid it exactly per plan. They don't ask any questions. It's per plan, probably even knowing that, you know, they're going to have to do some, some other things. Um, but they're going to leave it out because they know they're going to get it and change orders later. And so that kind of really bothers me. So I kind of bring the custom home approach to the commercial jobs when I'm bidding them and say, hey, I think you're going to need this. And if, if, you know, if this was my, you know, place, I would probably do this. And have you thought about this? And, you know, and they appreciate that. But it does make my price higher because I bid it the way that it should be. And, um, and the other guys, quite frankly, don't usually do that. And, and it's kind of the same way with the custom homes, but there's so much to interpretation in the custom homes because a lot of the plans we get, you know, don't have all the details. That's the one nice thing about commercial is it does spec quite a few items, you know, that are going in the project where custom homes, um, unless you have a designer involved from the beginning, just don't. I mean, you know, we're just, you know, telling the people, hey, give us pictures of what you like, and then we're going to bid it that way. And most of the time that works. But um, but the ones that have a designer, then obviously that works out much better because then we do kind of have a, a more uh, detailed scope of work. It's interesting you bring this up because um, in the commercial world, you know, when you're bidding commercial, as you mentioned, everything's specified. I mean, seldom, sometimes they may have an interior designer, but in most cases in commercial, the architect is doing full turnkey, right? They're specifying all the finishes, you know, and as you mentioned, it's going to be very clear what your scope of work is. You know, you're providing this, Toby, but you're going to exclude these FF&E or these items. You know, I have a third party coming in and installing, you know, the tanks and hooking up all the plumbing. But you have to have, you know, these components available and accessible for us. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we take it from there. You know, it's very clear. Residential doesn't have that. And I think this is where I don't want to say we've fought this battle, but the mistakes I've made, which I've been pretty open about on the podcast, is when I've gone down this road in the custom world, like, OK, we'll figure it out, you know. You don't have a designer, that's fine. And then you get months down the road and you're like, this is not working. Like I, the client hates me. Like I hate yeah. the process. Like it's not going well. It's super frustrating. Where now it's like, take that commercial mindset and why don't we do the same thing that involve us in the beginning, design, build, get the designer on architect and let's get this all figured out and, and drawn up before we even break ground. Yeah. And that's the, another awesome thing about the, the commercial side of it is the homeowners or I call them homeowners. The owners aren't typically as emotionally involved. So they, they see this as a business. It's going to be a moneymaker. They want it to be opened as soon as possible. Um, and, um, you know, they're not going to care about the details as much, um, as they do if it was, you know, a home that they were building for themselves. You know, they, they basically just want you to, to get it done as fast as possible you know, for, you know, the least amount of money for a good product and they just want to open so they can make money. It is true. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, I don't know how it is for you. I mean, a lot of times you're dealing with LDs, right? Liquidated damages that could be in commercial mm -hmm. because as you mentioned, a day not opened, they're losing revenue, right? It's, right? it's really big to get this open by a certain date. How does it change the direction? Because it's really easy mentally to say, I want to go to commercial, but as you mentioned, there's a learning curve, mm -hmm. understanding just a couple examples, right? Restaurant, you're dealing with a fire marshal, health code inspector, which is totally different in addition to the building inspector. Like you have multiple parties now coming in and you're dealing with FF&E and other subcontractors. And so there's a learning curve. There's a learning curve for your team management side. Mm -hmm. How was that going to the car wash just to train your personnel, you know, to, to kind of think outside the box to now change um, that mind frame? They loved it. They loved how fast we could go. We're used to begging our clients for information so we can keep going. And on the commercial side of it, you know, we didn't, have any of those questions you know there may have been a couple but for the most part there aren't any it's just you got the plans you get the scheduling you know done and you go just make sure the guys are showing up when they need to show up and uh, doing the good work so so yeah that was one thing my my project manager who who uh worked on a few of the jobs he was telling me man can we do some more of those commercial jobs because <laughs> you know the 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 client side of it is it's 
can be very daunting dealing with uh, emotional clients. So, for for example, just to give some context here, I would imagine, and you've done some really high end homes, you know, some big homes, some big remodels that I would imagine build time anywhere from 12 months, 24 months. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking yeah. one to two year builds. For sure. Not including pre-construction design, you know, oh. bid process, you know. Yeah. So, so these are multiple year projects, whereas a commercial car wash, I mean, what is that, five months, six months, maybe eight? Well, I mean, actually, what, what? The, the, pre, the pre-portion of it, um, getting it through, um, usually takes about two years. Car washes are hard to get through because you usually have to get it. Con- yeah, through pre-construction. Yeah, through the yeah, yeah. But oh, yeah, the, the actual build portion of it is like seven, yeah. seven to nine months. Um, yeah. So yeah, it goes fairly fast compared to the homes that we're doing, which like you said, I mean, it's 14 months to two years typically. So See, and what's a little bit different, I mean, just I think it's important for anyone listening to understand the difference here is like when we did the brewery, same thing. You know, a lot of my houses are 12 to 24 months. I mean, we have one right now that's going to be a two-and-a-half-year build in two years mm-hmm. in design, four-and-a-half-year commitment, right? Yeah. Um, but the brewery, I mean, it was – I mean, there's design time in there, which we didn't have a whole lot because architects kind of turnkey on this. But uh, the build was like four-and-a-half months. I wow. mean, it's fast. Yeah. You're doing like a million-dollar brewery in yeah. four months. And so that's where it's just like lightning quick. And you know, it is a little bit more stressful in the sense that you like you have to move in four months. Mm-hmm. So you're working, you know, long hours, nights, weekends. But on the flip side, where my team just being open struggles a little bit, we may hire a mechanical company on the custom world, super custom in the mechanical design, and they have just a few employees. You know, you may get one or two guys, maybe three if you're lucky, show up to the job site. Whereas on the commercial side, you're gonna have like thirty guys show mm-hmm. up. You know, it's a big company, three hundred employees. It's a different operation. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and that's the other thing is that the crossover between subcontractors um, going from custom to commercial, you're not going to have a lot of the, the same guys doing your custom home stuff that you're going to have on the commercial. So I had to go find, you know, basically a whole new team of trade contractors and suppliers. And uh, in a, but it was kind of fun and exciting and something new. How did you do it? How did you uh, find them? Because that's was my next question. So, I mean, you have to find a whole new trade base. So you've heard of the blue book? <laughs> the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, so I went through and I started looking through. And you know the funny thing? The the people that I hit up, because car washes, you know, uh, in restaurants, they're kind of specialty things. When I started hitting up people from the blue book, um, a handful of them had already bid the job that I was bidding for another contractor. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, you want this price? All right, we'll give it to you, too. So I'm like, oh, Send cool. it to you right now. Yeah. So uh, and then some of them I just went around and you you find other businesses that are building like type uh, projects that you're working on. And, you, you know, you walk around and you find the subcontractors, you know, and then um, there was uh, one guy that we connected with that um, installs a lot of stuff. Uh, equipment and so I said hey you know who are some of the subcontractors that you know you like working with and he gave me a whole handful so it just, they came from a number of different directions but yeah I mean it's finding the right the right guys to do the work it's uh it was kind of fun and exciting again so what does that split look like for you when you're looking you know residential commercial as a company um right now it's probably 80 20 so I think we've got six homes going a couple renovations uh and and four i think ground up builds going and then we're hopefully going to be starting a few more and then we've got these couple commercial jobs starting so why construction i mean why pick the hardest industry to work in yeah i know <laughs> sometimes, sometimes i ask I, myself the yeah. same thing i right? mean we all ask ourselves that no but I, honestly it's it's so rewarding to start with if you're renovating or remodeling and start with this this old home that needs a lot of work and needs life brought back into it and when you're done you can stand back and say us and our team did that and the same thing with the new builds you start with a piece of dirt and when you're done you've built this beautiful huge building that hopefully is going to be there for hundreds of years probably get renovated a few times along the way and that's rewarding to know that you had a hand in that so how have you seen i mean just being in construction i mean you've been in it your whole career right toby if i'm not mistaken yeah so Looking at it now, it's been a little bit different in the last three years, right? Essentially since 2020, you know, these two and a half years. How has it changed, you know, for you looking at your systems? And you you mentioned that even pricing, you know, how that's changed, you know, for clients. Systems, processes, I mean, your whole approach or expectations, communication, you're setting with your customer now, knowing what you know for the last two years. Yeah, so, you know, like everybody else, we had jobs we were in the middle of when COVID hit, and luckily the the projects we were working on 
you know, they said, keep going, because I asked them, do you want us to keep going or, or we'll stop? And, and everything was fine for a while, and then all of a sudden, you had the delays, and then price increases started happening. And, um, you know, and the jobs you're in the middle of, you didn't, you didn't account for that. And so, you know, you were kind of working together with the homeowner together on it. You know, you're, you're kind of um, voicing your concerns and saying, hey, this isn't really our fault, you know, and, and most of the time, uh, or most of the clients realize that and they understand that and they had sympathy for us and and understood that. But um, but then you have some that don't, you know, how come this? How come that? Well, we're in the middle of, you know, a pandemic at the time. Um, you know, things aren't going to be running totally smooth. And so, yeah, now we have the new normal of, you know, windows taking 23 weeks and garage doors taking 20 weeks and interior doors, you know, taking a long time and just about everything. And so, what we've had to do is obviously change what we're doing. And we used to order windows once we were framed up because we would let the owner walk through the house so they can make their changes because these windows that we're buying, you know, are tens of thousands of dollars sometimes. And so to make a change, you know, you're buying a whole new window. You can't just return it. And so now we're having to order windows, you know, before foundations even start sometimes. Um, so, you, you know, you're, you're having to, you know, switch up when you order things um, and you're just having to get everything. You know, I tell the owners, I would rather have the products waiting for us instead of us waiting for them. So let's get everything ordered, you know, as soon as possible so that, um, you know, we can stay, stay ahead of it. Most of the time it works. Sometimes you have uh, homeowners who kind of lag on the decision making and you keep, you know, hounding them, telling them, hey, this is going to hold things up. Um, you know, and they, they typically they still understand. I mean, it's it's no secret that it's affected you know so many industries, but especially ours. So how do you how do you bridge that part when you talk about selections on the you know because on the commercial side we we spoke about you know how formatted it is you know and there it's contextualized like everything's thought out and you know planned right because the emotions aside there's a business to run. Residential is totally different, you know. So pre-con, how often are you know you mentioned you have six projects right now. How often are you involved in pre-con or do these come into play late in the process for you? So um, it, as far as decision-making of materials in the pre-con? Well, I think, yeah, I guess where I'm going is that are they involving you at the very beginning so that you're working with a designer and architect mm, no. to work through all these like value engineering and pricing? Or do they come to you and say, Toby, we have this yeah. project and it's right. already designed and now you got to figure out how to make okay. it work? So it used to be 10 years ago and, and more because I've been in business 25 years. So 10 years ago, it seemed like they, and before that, they would come to me first because we were, we did a lot of uh, projects in one city and there was one development in, in particular where we did a lot of work. And so I kind of became the guy in that project. And so people would buy a lot and then they would come to me and say, hey, you know, who's the architect, you know, who's a designer and we would we'd get a team. And then I would kind of help along the way um, you know, see the plans kind of midway through and say, Hey, you may want to change this. You may want to change that. Um, but the last 10 years and, and to present have been a lot different for some reason. The, the plans, you know, every architect or every plan that we get typically is from a different architect. Um, and a lot of them I've never even heard of. And, um, and then we're having to go through and then try and, try and define the scope of work and so a couple years ago or year and a half ago actually I you know I owe you the credit on this I finally started um, charging for bids and using a pre-construction agreement and that's the best thing I've ever done because like you said I, I asked you I think we were golfing and I asked you I'm like well what about the people who who say well I'm not going to have you bid it then and you're missing out on that project and you said Toby those aren't your clients anyway you know they're gonna they're gonna shop it to three or five guys and and more than likely you're gonna be too high for them or they you know they were just shopping for price and so you've um, now eliminated that portion of it and if they're willing to pay for a um, you know us to give a, a scope of work and a contract you know more than likely they're gonna uh, use us to do the work and I do refund uh, some of the money back if we get the project so that's kind of a, a plus as well so. It's interesting. I mean, it changes a lot when you have that conversation. I think that lesson I learned, I had a client that reached out to me, and this was early in my career. I first started my company. I mean, this is like eight years ago. And he said, Brad, when I was bidding my house, um, and this is before, you know, he had already had the house built. I hadn't started my company yet. But 
he came to me and he said during the bid process, one of the builders charged him money, and he said, I actually respected that more because mm-hmm. by him charging money, you know, it knew that he was actually engaged and enthused, and it wasn't just like, you know, he was invested, if you will. Right. And I thought that was interesting hearing that from the customer because I've always thought the yeah. other way that if I tell them I'm going to charge him money, they're going to say, pack sand. You're like, you're not. Right, right. Who do you think you are, Toby? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I'll usually ask them to email me a plan, and I'll, you know, I'll look at it and say, hey, you're going to be in about this cost range. But, you know, if you want me to, to continue, you know, with the process, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, charge and here's a pre-construction agreement. And after I explain it to them, um, most of the people that I've given it to are like, yeah, I actually can respect that. Like, you know, nobody wants to waste their time. So, um, so yeah, I think it's it's been positive for the most part. I've only had one person who so far who said, well, yeah, then I don't want you to bid it. And I already knew that those people probably weren't going to be one of my, you know, uh, maybe a customer of mine anyway, when we were going through the process, I might've weeded them out and said, I don't probably want to do work for you anyway. And so that's another skill that you learn over the years, because, you know, when I was younger, I would take every job that came my way. And then you're dealing with nightmare clients and you can't sleep at night. And, you know, you wonder why am I even doing this? And, uh, and so now I, it's, you know, I want this to be fun. I've done this for so long. And so I'm up front with people. I'm like, hey, this should be fun. You know, yeah, there's going to be stressful times for you and for me. But for the most part, this has to be a a fun thing. So when you're done, you're proud of it. You know, you're going to be, you know, proud to say, yeah, Cornell built my house. And um, and so, yeah, when you kind of set that expectation in the beginning that, hey, this this needs to be kind of a fun project. You, You don't have to agonize about every single decision. If you're losing sleep at night over it, you're doing it wrong. So let me ask you this, do you, being that it's kind of, you know, changed these last 10 years, you mentioned, you know, early on that they're coming to you first, especially with, in the development you were in. And now, you know, I know your footprint's pretty big, pretty big there in California. Your design team, I mean, are they pushing clients to like, hey, let's get the contract in early? And the reason I bring that up is what I've noticed is there are a core group of designers and architects here in Phoenix. And this isn't like, uh, like, lack of a better term, like a good old boys club. It's not that. I mean, there's a lot of females in there. You know, I'm just kind of using a generalized term here. But it's more like I want to work with a reputable builder and a reputable designer. Here's a couple for you to speak with. You know, if they're going to the architect first or anything, he'll say, look, you got to get the builder in now. Got to get the designer in now. Here's a couple to talk to. Um, because they understand, too, the value, right? They, they want to understand, okay, Brad, if you, are you doing masonry stem walls or port in place concrete? Mm-hmm. I mean, it really helps them design the house, right? To just understand logistically how we prefer to build and be more cost effective for the client. And then, you know, architects not out here bidding every house. They want to have right. budgets in place and have a contractor lead them across <clears> the way. So what I found is there are a core group of people that are really good. Like they understand kind of like you and I do that there's a lot of value for the client having that team together early on. Yeah. Um, are, are you seeing that in your market or how, you uh, know? So for the most part, no, it's terrible. So Why is that? you got to fix that. I, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, so there's a couple architects that we've worked and done a lot of their homes in the past. And so those people try and get you know, us on board as soon as possible. And they'll send an email out to the owners and to us. Hey, here's an introductory email. Um, you know, if you have any questions or anything, you know, let, let Toby know and we'll be sending him plans, you know, during the process. And then that's kind of when I'll talk to him about the pre-construction agreement. And, um, you know, hey, if you want me to help you, you know, through this process, we can do that and we can offer our services for that, um, you know, and, and and we can even help get it through the city if you'd like. Because um, the, the problem with most architects right now is they're so busy and a lot of stuff just sits and, you know, they're they're working on whatever project that the client is screaming at you know, them the, the most. Mm-hmm. And so the squeaky wheel. Yeah. And, and I'm finding that with a lot of architects. So, you know, if I'm involved then I can stay on the architect and, and take that out of, you know, their court. And then if it's in plan check and, you know, we know a lot of plan checkers, a lot of cities, cause we've worked at a lot of them. So, you know, then you can kind of put some pressure on them and say, Hey, where are we at in the queue? You know, are we almost done? Can you, you know, can you get us up to the top? You know, we're ready to start this, this home. And so homeowners, you know, don't know how to handle those situations. Um, every time I talk to an owner who's who's dealing with an architect, they'll say, well, he said in a couple of weeks to give him a call back. And that was like a month ago. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll stay on them because if you are if you don't, you're never going to get your, your home drawn up. Um, how, how long is it taking for permit? Because for us, I mean, they, uh, they're submitting it. It could take six, eight months at least, you know, to get the it, permit. Honestly, it's at least a year. 
uh, and that's <laughs> it. We we did two jobs in Glendora. We're currently working on both. It took, I think, a year and a half for one, and I think even longer than that for the other one. And part of that, I guess, was COVID. the The offices were shut down. You had to submit everything online. But man, just the um, and 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 it's not only Glendora. It was a, a lot of cities. Um, you know, they're just they take a long time and, and I still don't know why. And I guess what, what I've told a few people is I wish that they had to go through this process of building their own house. Um, and then maybe they would see like, Hey, yeah, we can't just let this stuff sit on the desk for two weeks and then realize, Oh yeah, I should probably call the architect or the contractor, let them know the plans are sitting here for corrections or that, that the plan is approved because that happens so often. And, and there are some cities that are very efficient too. So they're not, they're not all bad, but, um, but quite a few of them are still, you know, uh, at least a year. It's interesting you bring that up because it's not just from the client side. So I've seen there's a, there's a couple architects here in town and designers and their mindset's always been, which I really appreciate. And, and this weather good partners of ours, they say, you know, Brad, it's not a project until you get a shovel on the ground. And they understand mm-hmm. that that pre-construction process, the longer it takes, the more worn out the client yes. gets, the more emotionally drained they are that sometimes those projects will never go. And it's one thing as designer architect, you know, they have a fee structure, they're getting paid through design, but if it doesn't go, mm-hmm. the builder typically doesn't get compensated Mm-mm. to some extent and they don't get to see their design go. And they're like, so they're really committed to say, this is information in and out engineering yeah. city. Like we got to press on these guys. Yeah. I've actually had three projects through my career that took so long. One of them was up to three years, Brad. And it was a super complicated home. It was 12,000 square foot house, absolutely beautiful. The, the entire plan got done, but it was the um, civil engineer, architect, landscape architect, everybody was working together, you know, to create this dream property. Um, and it took, and to get through the homeowners association. Um, so all of these factors, and then I think the, the architect got about halfway through and uh, the owner made a ton of changes. So then it's kind of all started over again. And so we got all the way done. I gave them a price f- uh, to do the job. And in that three year period, their business, you know, kind of went down a little bit. And this was a, obviously a substantial amount of money for, for this project, for the yard and the house. And so they said, you know what? Our, our business isn't as good as it was when we started this process three years ago. So, um, you know, we're, and they actually did pay me for my time. They recognized I had a ton of time because I was in it from the beginning. And they actually did pay me for my time, which I was very grateful for. But the house never got built. And we've had that happen a couple times. That was the most extreme condition. But, um, you know, it's sad. It was so sad because that house was going to be absolutely mm-hmm. phenomenal. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their their company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Builder Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we brought on the podcast are also Builder Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help 
simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. So how does your, you know, and it's interesting, well, before I get into the question about business development is, you know, I, I, I can relate to that story because through COVID, right, we saw pricing just take this jump. Mm-hmm. And part of it's inflation, a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes, supply chain. Um, but the reality is we had some that really were lengthy in design and in pre-con. And by the time final pricing came in, the client's like, there's no way. Like, you know, here's where we're budgeted, here's where we're at now, and it just changed. And so, you know, that's where you and I, you know, it's tough to balance, you know, that everything and, and, and forecast as a company because we're doing so much business development and, and sales, mm-hmm. hoping that all these go forward as planned. But sometimes some fall out of the, you know, out of the pipeline. So right. how do you manage just that, that workload, business development to make sure you continue to have work? And where do those leads come from? So most of my leads actually come from my website. So, um, you know, I... You're like the first contractor that's told me they've come from their website. What are you doing? Yeah, well, (laughs) um, so I have Martin actually takes care of my SEO services and I do pay... Look at Martin. Yeah, and so he always, every month he'll send me like a diagnostic and we're always on the front page. Like if anybody punches in custom home contractor in Southern California, we're gonna be on the first page. And so um, I get actually quite a bit, and there's a... um, on my website, there is a, you know, hey, uh, like a contact portion. And so then most of the time um, they'll, uh, I think Martin set it up so that it gives a square footage, you know, where's, what city is it in? And so then I can already identify if they're a client of mine or not. If it's too far away, I'll just email them back nicely. Hey, thanks for reaching out. But that's out of, you know, our service area. Um, but more times than not, you know, it leads to a, a longer conversation. Um, obviously Instagram is good and, and that probably leads people to our website as well. Um, and then you have Facebook too, but that's obviously not as good as Instagram. I think, I think the demographics of Instagram, you know, I would say it's probably 30 to 50 and that's, that's our ideal clients right now. So mm-hmm. I was going to ask that like ideal age as, as you know, you think of your ideal client with their age ranges, but going back to the lead generation as they go through the website, how are you managing the CRM portion, right? So the CRM or like, uh, you know, managing the, the clients that are hanging out there and leads, you know, are you vetting those yourself? Do you oh, have yeah. someone in your office yeah, yeah. doing that? No, I do them myself. If somebody calls the office, my office manager will kind of vet them because we do have, we have done some renovations. And, and so on Instagram, it looks like we do a lot of them. But in reality, I only like doing very large ones. We don't do a lot of small ones. So we have a lot of people that call for, you know, uh, a bathroom you know, renovation or just a kitchen renovation. And I just tell them, listen, we're, we're too busy to do those right now. And, um, some people actually get upset that you don't want to do their <laughs> yeah. job, but you know, yeah. it's just, you know, I tell Are them, you hey, too I'm good just, for me, Toby. <laughs> right. I'm just, yeah, it's, it has nothing to do with that. We're just too busy. So, I mean, we've, we've got these bigger projects that we're already committed to. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and so once we get an email from an, uh, like a pr- prospective client, you know, then I'll, I'll send them usually some more questions and then I'll set up a time to talk and then we'll kind of go from there. And some of them don't have plans yet. So I'll refer them to some architects. Some of them have plans already and I'll tell them to email them over and I'll kind of give them a a rough estimate of what I think that project's going to cost. And then, you know, if we're still talking after that, then, you know, we'll we'll move to the pre-construction agreement phase. So how do you know your numbers so well? And the reason I ask that, because I think you gave this little tip and nugget earlier in the conversation. I think what's what a lot of builders waste their time doing, whether they're custom builders, new construction, remodelers, you know, you can spend a lot of time driving, meeting with clients, vetting them, you know, seeing the scope of work, having plans sent. And, and so you can go down this rabbit hole of endless appointments and client meetings, whereas quickly you could take a project, you know, from a client, look at this and say, 
you're going to be in this range. And if we're speaking the same language or I could do this renovation, you're going to be in this number rough, you know, right. give or take. And again, now if you want to go to the next step, here's my PSA, my, you know, my, my service agreement. And, you know, here's my cost to bid the project and here's my value and everything that I, I put together. But you know, the, the biggest key has been to vet them right away on number, because if you're saying this house is 700 a foot and they're thinking 200 a foot, I mean, you're way off. Why mm-hmm. even waste your time? Right. Or even present that. Right. So how, how are you keeping track of like just understanding kind of the market and your database and, you know, projects you're working on? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're always bidding jobs. So I know what, you know, about the current cost per square foot is, um, you know, for a type of home that somebody wants. Um, and so I just, you know, I just tell them that, hey, I've looked at your plans. It's going to fall within some of the homes, you know, the same price range of some of the homes we're working on right now. And, and it's going to be about this much money, usually within a $50 a square foot, you know, range. And, um, you know, and then we'll go from there. Um, if they, they say we're kind of in the price range that they were thinking, then we'll continue the process. But uh, more times than not, you know, you have a lot of people who are like, well, I was going to buy an existing home, but I figured it'd just be cheaper to, to build one and I have to burst their bubble. <laughs> and I tell them it's never going to be cheaper to build your own house, at least not in Southern California, maybe in other parts of, uh, you know, the nation, but not in Southern California. It's just, um, it's always, that's where you come back more. and you say, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm, instead of buying a used car, I'm going to go buy a new car because I want to <laughs> save some money, right? right? Right. I tell him, I said, if that was the case, wouldn't everybody be building a house right now? Yeah, you'd never buy a used one. Who wants to you know, use someone else's like toilet, right? You might as well just build right. a new one. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. You know, what, what I love about you, Toby, too, is not only through social media where I followed you, we'd be, you know, we've been friends for a long time, but... You've been pretty open about your um, your fitness journey too, right? I think you've lost over thirty pounds and you made yeah. this amazing transformation. And yep. I mean, you always look good before, but you know, speak about that because one one thing that's really hard, and you know, I don't think there's an easy solution to work life balance, right? It's just balance. You have to figure out what that means to you. But yeah. you know, exercise, diet is something that's really hard, you know, to yeah. change, especially in the building industry. We're busy, you right? Know, stressful you're eating because you're stressed mm-hmm. you don't have time so you're driving through mickey d's drive through whatever yeah. it may be lunch on the go no so definitely it's it's been one of the biggest blessings i've ever done and i get so mad that i didn't do this you know when i was 30 i'm 48 right now so in my 30s it's a harder <laughs> in my 30s i was probably the heaviest i ever was and then i got control of it a little bit and then through covid you know and just through the years it slowly comes back and through covid it kind of came back faster you know because you know you're sitting (laughs) at home and and our kids weren't in school and we were cooking every single night as a family which was actually pretty awesome my kids were baking all these awesome desserts and you know you may have a few alcoholic beverages here and there and you know before you know it it's uh it catches up to you and so and our all of our gyms were shut down Mm -hmm. so when the gyms opened back up um, we actually had a trip to Hawaii planned for my daughter and my son's graduation from college and high school. So, uh, I decided at the last minute to lose some weight. I hit my buddy up who did this plan and, and I lost a, you know, a, a little bit of weight before we went to Hawaii. And then when I, uh, got home from Hawaii, I was like, man, that plan was actually pretty good. I was never hungry. Um, you know, it's kind of a higher protein, you know, diet. It's, you know, it fits with my workout schedules and, so uh, I ended up just continuing, you know, doing that plan, and uh, it's been awesome. And I've actually, you know, referred that plan to many other people. And shoot, I have people text me all the time, you know, hey, I lost 50 pounds. Thanks so much for, for hooking me up with that. Um, but I just think that um, when you're in your 30s, people just don't think it's important. And when, and when you're in your 40s and 50s, sometimes you think, well, it's too late. Um, you know, I am what I am. It's just, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just going to be overweight for the rest of my life. And, you know, and 30 pounds isn't a substantial amount, but it was a substantial amount to me. And so I like to equate it. We'll put it in, in builder terms. Sometimes, uh, an older home, or I guess it doesn't even have to be older. Sometimes, uh, a home needs to be transformed or renovated. Um, you know, because it gets, you know, stale and you get tired of it and, you know, I think that that's kind of what I needed. My body needed a transformation for, you know, not only for my physical wellness, but for my mental wellness as as well, because you do not realize how much what you put in your mouth affects your, your mental, 
you know, clarity and just your mental well-being until you eat clean and you stop drinking, you know, alcohol, uh, you know, a lot. And it's not like I drink alcohol every day, but, you know, if you have it, you know, a drink when you get home, you know, unwind, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it does affect, um, you know, your brain and brain fog and your mental clarity. And the same thing with what you put in your mouth, um, eating processed foods and, and things that are, you know, bad for your body, it's it's going to also give you brain fog and kind of mess you up mentally and you don't even know it until you stop. And so that's what I discovered after, you know, a month of of eating clean and, and not having alcohol. Um, you discover real fast, like, hey, I feel better than I've felt in probably since I was in my 20s, um, you know, and, and I started going to the gym every day. And so before I did this, um, I'd usually get up probably around 5.30 in the morning. Now I get up at 4.05 every morning. I'm going to the gym very first thing, knocking that out, and then I get on with my day. And and I do that five or six days a week. And, um, you know, I'm sleeping better than I was. I'm not snoring anymore because, probably because of the weight loss. And um, and so Shelly really liked that. And I mean, it was really getting bad, Brad. She would wake me up be- right before I started losing weight. She would wake me up multiple times a night. You're snoring so loud. <laughs> Uh, you know, you got to do something about this. And so I even brought the, bought the breathe right strips and nothing worked. Um, so yeah, losing weight worked. So she was thankful for that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's been an awesome, an awesome thing. And I, I just encourage, you know, everybody take your health a little more serious, you know, um, because if, if you, if you do just try it for a month, I mean, that 30 days is not a long time. Eat clean for a month, stop drinking alcohol for a month. And, and see how you feel. And more times than not, you're going to be like, wow, why didn't I do this before? And you're going to continue the journey. Um, you know, and of course, nobody's perfect. You're going to slip up once in a while, but it's about long-term consistency. You know, it's not, not about the short term. So, um, well, it's interesting. I'll just make some notes. Cause you know, one of my questions, I mean, of course, talking about your journey, which is a re- uh, remarkable, you know, especially as we know, you know, us as males, metabolism slows down. It's a little mm-hmm. bit harder in our forties. than you know, as you mentioned, our thirties or twenties to do this, but you know, just speak about just physically, like performance at work, you know, mental, oh, yeah. as you mentioned a little bit, like, is there a change in like confidence? Just you like confident, oh, right? Absolutely. How you're, you know, leadership and directing yourself and your company and your clients, you know, especially now that you have, you yep. know, you've completely transformed. So uh, one of the things that we did um, during this journey, which, um, you know, losing a little bit of weight, then I was like, well, I'm ready for another challenge. So we, me and my wife, Shelly, did 75 hard. And so that's a program you can look it up. Um, it's a mm-hmm. free program and it's not, people think, oh, it, that's a, a fitness program. It's not, it's a mental challenge. You have to do all the tasks within you know, your day. And if you don't do them, you fail and you start over. And so we were able to complete that uh, all 75 days. Um, and yeah, we were dedicated to it. And, and so that kind of, you know, opened my eyes. And, and part of that process is reading a self-help book 10 pages every day. I never read books before that, you know, I very rarely. And so, you know, I'm reading all these amazing books that are, you know, helping me and giving me confidence. And, you know, and then in the last year, you know, we picked up a bunch of work and, you know, it may just be the times that we're in or, you know, it may be, you know, uh, you know, I'm more laser focused now than I, I used to be. Um, it could be a combination of things, but I'd like to think that, you know, my fitness journey and, and getting, you know, well has helped you know, my entire life. Um, you know, it's helped me personally. Um, you know, me and Shelly's relationship is better. Um, it's helped me business wise. I'm, um, I try and be a more positive person now and I've ne- I was never a downer, but, um, but you know, as, as you know, the longer you're in business, um, you know, it starts wearing on you after time. The more so, you can get mad at people. all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, your patience gets thin. And I remember my dad yelling at somebody. I was in his office and I remember my dad yelling at somebody, um, you know, way back when I was a kid. And I said, dad, why'd you get so mad? And he goes, you know what? Don't talk to me about this because you don't know. He goes, talk to me when you've owned your own business for 20 years. And when we hit that 20 year mark, I, I remember thinking, I think I was just about ready to blow up on somebody. And I said, oh yeah, pops was right. You know, you lose your patience a lot faster. So, um, so yeah, I, and, and the self-confidence thing, you know, it's huge. I mean, when you walk into a room and you just feel better and, you know, obviously you're looking better, you're going to have more self-confidence. 
Yeah, I love that. It's interesting. You know, I th- there was a time I even went, uh, I think, three weeks without sugar. And, and it's really hard, right? It was really hard for me because I love sugar. Like, I'm, my wife will laugh because, like, mm-hmm. I'm a, I love sugar candy. I love ice, yeah. ice cream. I mean, that's kind of weakness. Who doesn't, right? Who doesn't, right? I mean, those are good things in life. But, you know, you go without it. And then if you really look at it, you know, you're not eating bread or, like, condiments or, like, anything. Yogurt, you know, no juice, you know, unless it's just, like, Mm-hmm. normal fruit like it's really hard but what i found is you know energy like i had so much energy yes i'm like it makes no sense but it's like totally right. transformed but but to your point you know when people speak about like well how do i get better at public speaking i mean a lot of it is yeah you have to know the the topic you have to know the content right like the more knowledgeable you are about this the more you can stand up and be like direct and speak in front of people the mm-hmm. confidence side right as you mentioned like just feeling having confidence because of mental health physical health and we right. don't talk enough about mental health you know, that all of us, I mean, here, I love this podcast because, you know, I get inspired by people such as yourself, Toby, they're like, okay, well, I can make this change now. I mean, he's inspired me to do this. Um, I need to apply this business model, you know, my company mm-hmm. business. But the reality is, is that it's a hard business, like construction, design, any fee for business is hard. Mm-hmm. The restaurant, you know, the service industry. And that's why the camaraderie is big. That's why health is important, you know, taking that time to sharpen the saw, whatever that means to certain people. Right. But that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you've always been a fit guy and I've always actually admired that. And and then you got guys like, uh, Killowin, you know, um, you know, his arms are, his arms are huge. I was like, man, no wonder they put him on that show. He probably got, you know, half the viewers just by putting him on that show. So no, he, he's, uh, he's an awesome guy. I, I like Tyler. He's on the yeah. podcast and yeah. actually Amy with MM lighting has been on the podcast too. And the funny thing is he, I don't know if you saw it yesterday, but he had, he did some Instagram reel and I just asked him for tickets to the gun show <laughs> and, Amy, and Amy and like Houston's dying laughing. Like, it's just fun because <laughs> yeah. I love Tyler. We were in college together, but yep. I'm like, man, I'm just not hitting the gym hard enough when I look at Tyler. It just depresses me. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm trying to get my arms half as big as Tyler's. So <laughs> it's amazing. So another part of this, I mean, mental health, physical health that we mentioned, Toby, something that's really neat about you as well. I had Jim and a couple weeks ago. And he's big in, you know, philanthropic, you know, giving back and charity, Mm -hmm. which is another big thing. I mean, you serve as a board member. So if you're not busy enough as we're trying to figure out work-life balance and now you're throwing in Mm -hmm. 4 a.m. journeys to the gym, you know, now you're doing the philanthropic and charity side. I mean, how has that played a role? Just mental health, physical health, well-being, company, like really where you're at as a person, as a family and your goals. So. You know, a passion of mine is has been on being this board. Um, you know, I had childhood cancer when I was eight years old. I had leukemia, and Whoa. so uh, so I went through that journey and survived. And um, and so yeah, now when I was older, hold on, I gotta yeah. stop you. There. You okay. had leukemia when you were eight. Yeah, yeah. So forty years ago. That's amazing. Like, yeah. speak about that. I had no idea. I mean, I'm just finding this out now. I mean, just going through that, especially at such a young age, to like get through that. Yeah, no, it, um, yeah, it was, it was not a fun process. Um, and chemotherapy, um, the, the process they used to, to cure me was kind of still a little bit newer, um, cause yeah. they were still kind of doing radiation. Um, they asked my parents, Hey, what do you want to do? Chemo or radiation? And my dad asked straight out, asked the doctor, well, if it was your kid, what would you do? And he said, I think I would do the chemo. And luckily that's what they did. Um, and so, yeah, that was a three year journey of you know of staying in the, the hospitals uh, and oh, like i'm still like dumbfounded sorry that i keep interrupting no, no worries. Eight, eight, eight to 11 i mean it's such a young impressionable age yeah. right you're still like developing yep. and to go through that just like you think about emotional scarring just you know going through chemo yeah. you know yeah you missed just a lot that, of school missing uh, school yeah. you know missing education diet changes you can't yeah, eat I mean, things right it like changes your whole body so like my my handwriting's not very good. I'm I'm gonna blame it on the cancer because that was like the time <laughs> that was like the time in my life where you learned to write, right? So actually no, I think it's hereditary because my dad has terrible writing and so is my little brother. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean it was um, you know I I thank God every day that you know I I'm on this earth and made it through that because there's a lot of kids you know and adults that that don't make it through that journey, and so um, so yeah, it's and I think thankful for that, that I had good parents that, you know, helped me get through that and my sister. So in fact, my sister, so is, is, is that why you were like, why you're so philanthropic? I mean, is that yeah. part of it? Just, you know, yeah, ahead. yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was looking to, it was probably, yeah, 11, 12 years ago. I was looking, you know, like, Hey, I need to do something else. Like, you know, I'd like to help some organization out that, 
you know, maybe has something to do with cancer and kids. And I didn't, I didn't see any, there wasn't really any, any available. So we built a, a, a 15,000 square foot home on this incredible property. Um, we, they just finished it and, uh, the homeowners, you know, were friends of mine and they said, Hey, you know, we're going to have a, um, it's the first ever event for this let it be foundation um you know it's uh, a husband and a wife ruth and michael they had a daughter carla who passed away of brain cancer and so they started this foundation um about a year well this event was about a year after she passed and it was at this this house that we had built and so um we got to you know it was still very raw at that point the doctors were there um, you know, she was up there speaking and she's a very good speaker and she was obviously crying and the whole crowd is, is in tears. And I remember telling Shelly, I want to be involved in this. Like, this is, this is something good. And so I learned more about it. And what they like to do is, you know, we're not curing cancer. There's other organizations for that. What mm -hmm. we like to do is, um, we help the families in this area, um, who, who need help just and we're trying to normalize like the family while they're going through this because like the like my sister when I had cancer I got all the attention you know and and she didn't because you know I was the one that had cancer and so we we recognize that and so we try and make you know the siblings if they have any feel special and we'll bring them gifts just like we're bringing you know the kids who have cancer gifts and and we may if if the father um you know mows the yard well obviously we want him at the hospital you know, uh, trying to be with his son to, to make them better or daughter. And, and so we'll fire, hire a landscaper and pay for it for the duration, you know, that, that they need it and, or we'll hire a house cleaner. And so we're, we're trying, our goal is to try and make it as normal as possible because like me as, um, as a cancer survivor, when I did have cancer, when I was a kid, I didn't want no one feeling sorry for me. I just wanted to be treated normal. Um, and, you know, and that's the way that uh, a lot of the kids are today. They just want to be treated normal. So we'll, we have lots of events and um, we have a whole youth team that is made up of all the, like all the high schools in the area. I believe there's like 40 or 50 uh, youth team members on the Let It Be Foundation team. And so they help us out at the events. They'll go visit the kids and bring them presents. And the kids love this. You know, what, what little kid, you know, doesn't love having some high schoolers come and visit them? Um, and so it's just, that's just been a huge blessing. I've been a board member for 11 or 12 years now. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I like to encourage, and that's not going to be for everybody, but everybody does have something that they're passionate about, whether it be feeding the homeless or, um, you know, maybe a sports program or whatever your passion is, maybe, you know, uh, reach out because there's so many people that, that would need help. And it's not only a blessing for them, but it's a blessing for you too, you know, after you're, you're done, then you, you do an event and, um, or you, you bring some presents to a family at Christmas, um, you know, and you get to talk to the parents and the kids, you know, it's, it's very rewarding, you know, to see the smiles on their faces. It's interesting, Toby. I mean, just hearing you speak, it, it, it reminds me my favorite quote that, um, that I share, you know, with my kids and something that's had a huge impact. It said, you know, I complain because, I had no shoes until I saw a man that had no feet, right? And it's always had an impact because I think a lot of times, you know, it's easy, lack of a better word, we sulk or complain or maybe through social media we uh, covet what other people have. Why did it happen to me? Why am I not having this success? Mm -hmm. Why did this not work out? Um, you know, why am I not lucky or be born, you know, in this family or whatever maybe, right? We all have things right. that inadequacies, right? But what's interesting, I mean, the minute that, as you mentioned, Toby, when you serve people, like there's, there's a... When, when, when you serve somebody, uh, there, there's a different, like, act of love there, if you will. And, yeah. it, 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 you know, I look back at some of my closest friends or ones that I've, like, served with and served others. And, um, you know, that act of service really breaks down kind of that human barrier, if you will. And I, I love what you're doing because you think about the Let It Be Foundation. And it's just amazing to me that something you never thought of it. Like, yeah, the kid's going through cancer. It's so hard on the family. Even, you you know, you see this little kid and don't want to see kids with cancer. I mean, it's like the saddest thing ever. But you don't think mm -hmm. about the siblings or everyone else that's impacted by it and maybe gets oh, overlooked. Yeah. And and so, like, you bringing all this together, as you mentioned with your sister, I mean, it's things that all of us probably haven't thought of that now we're more aware just, you know, hearing you speak about this. Yeah. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's, it is a great organization. And 
like I said, it's it's just been a, a huge blessing in my life. And and so, you know, when I talk to these these parents of these kids, I say, hey, I you know, and a lot of the kids have the same thing that I had. They have leukemia, and um, and the survival rate is very high. You know, much higher than it was 40 years ago when I had it. But you know, it's still a process for boys. It's two years for for uh, I mean, I'm sorry, for boys it's three years, and for girls it's typically two. And so that's still a long journey that they have to go through. And so um, if I talk to the parents and say, hey, I had cancer and, you know, now I've got this beautiful family. And, and so you're kind of giving them hope, you know, like that they'll even say, hey, you know, I told my son after you left or, or daughter, you know, that, hey, Toby had the same type of cancer that you have. And it, and it kind of gives them some hope. And, and so that was kind of an added bonus that, you know, I, I wasn't expecting, but it was, you know, also uh, another blessing, you know. It's amazing. I had a lot of respect for you, Toby. And, 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 and just hearing like just your mentality about, you know, going through your weight loss journey, you know, health, thinking about your philanthropic activities, knowing you had leukemia. I mean, there's really no excuse, right? For anybody that, and, and to your point that being there with people that have gone through this, there's a lot to be said about someone that's been there, right? Because I could say, yeah, you can get through this, but that doesn't mean much. But some of you did said, I've had leukemia. I've done it right. And I've mm-hmm. seen the same thing where, you know, I've been through divorce and it was really difficult at a time in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there are people that had gave me a lot of strength through that. And then I look back at other people going through it and it's, you know, haven't gone through it. You, there, there's a different understanding, right, of what people are dealing with. And I love that you're utilizing that in such a positive manner and making a huge impact on your community. Yeah. And it's fun because I've gotten my friends involved. You get some of the local uh, vendors and, you know, your your trades involved. We did. We've done a couple of room makeovers for some of the kids, you know, and that was kind of fun. And, and we had to get it done really fast, you know, because they're they're not able to stay in the room while we're doing it. And but yeah, the, in fact, the, the local news even came out on one of them. And, um, you know, and I'm not looking for any shout outs or anything. And, I, and they didn't actually I don't think even said, hey, Cornell Custom Homes at the time did this. I didn't care about that. It was just seeing the the smile on the kids' faces, you know, and I still see those kids. You know, they they've gone on and they're doing great and they're in high school now and I think one of them's even out of high school that we did a room makeover for. And um, you know, but they'll always remember me as the guy that, you know, did their their little makeover in their room and um, you know, and hopefully those kids will see, "Hey, this organization helped us out when we were down and they're going to want to, you know, in turn, you know, do that for for other people when they're older you know it's the ripple effect i mean the ripple effect for you brad is probably this podcast you're reaching thousands of people and helping lots of people um you know the ripple effect that you can have um uh, on just one choice or one decision can affect hundreds and or thousands of people and and you don't even realize it it's amazing i i stand by that 100 percent. i mean the the I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you have a lot going on and some family commitments later, but you know, one thing is empathy and even just empowerment and, and really gratification. And what I mean by that is like telling people, thank you, right? How many times are there someone that's had an impact in our life and we go and call them thank you or, or mm-hmm. say, just love you thinking about you. I mean, we don't do that enough as people, right? To just oh, edify. Yeah. I guess that's a right. word. Sorry. I've been on the yeah. podcast. I'm trying to, where's the word I'm looking for? It's edification, right. edify, but we need to do that more, right? As people. And you know, Toby, you've, it's remarkable you shared. I feel inspired from this and just, um, it, it, it's amazing what you're doing, you know, with, um, with, with what's on your plate, that balance, you know, and making time for all these things. And, you know, I think it's really important that, you know, what do you have that's upcoming and exciting? What do you have, you know, what, what are your websites for us to follow along this journey and, and, and even give back to the Let It Be Foundation? Uh, well, Let It Be has its own website if you want to check it out. And we've actually got a cool country concert coming up uh, in about a month, I think September 17. So you can go online and look at that. If you're local, you can, and, uh, buy tickets for that. And we're having a benefit dinner right before the concert. Um, but yeah, my own website is cornellcustomconstruction.com. Um, so you can check us out there. Instagram is Cornell custom construction, same for Facebook. And I am, am on LinkedIn. I know you're very active. I, I go in spurts. I'll be active for a little (laughs) while. And even Instagram, I'm not near as active as I need to be. I do a lot of stories, but posts just take so much time to do, as you know. Oh, so yeah. I kind of have really fallen off uh, the wagon as far as doing posts, and um, I know I need to do better on that. So, but I do like doing stories because they take, you know, literally you're walking around the job. Hey, look at this, and you know it doesn't take hardly any time. So 
Uh, if you follow us, I do a lot of stories. I'll, I'll try and start posting more. And he looks really good when he's wearing this AFT hat that I've seen. I do. I love that hat. So I actually got some company hats that were made from that same company. Nice. So, so I love I'll, it. I'll send you one so you can return the favor and wear it. Oh, I'll return I think, the I think, favor. I think the, the hat you gave me when we were golfing, I gave you one too. I think Paul Paul ended up going in your office and taking it. He did take uh, it. Yeah, because he, he used it on, I don't know, he had like his his uh, thousandth post or 5,000, whatever it was. He, he had some memorable occasion and he wore that hat while he was doing it. And then he, he tagged me in it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I go. Because uh, I brought it into work and I hadn't even worn it yet because I brought it back from our golfing in California. And he saw it on my desk. He's like, I want them all. Yeah, you can have it because he's yeah. like, I love that hat. So. Yeah, yeah. I'll get you a couple more. So Well, that's uh, awesome. So, yeah. We've been amazing, Toby. I know, you know, again, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy with all these things, but thanks for inspiring us and spending time today. Oh, it's it's no problem at all. It's an honor to actually be on this uh, podcast with you. And, and just so everybody knows, I've, I've met up with Brad a, a few times now in person. And um, it's no act. You know, he is as nice in person as he comes off on his Instagram and, and this podcast. He's one of the good guys. And uh, it's it's an honor to know him. So, you know, just, just keep doing what you're doing, Brad, because it's an awesome thing. I'll pay you later. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Toby. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Brad. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.